0: all right so uh we're gonna finish our second peter chapter one today uh i'm looking forward to this second peter chapter one at the this kind of the last few verses i mean it is right down the middle of the plate about the certainty of the word of god and uh and and obviously we're gonna we're gonna touch on that but before we jump into that in particular uh what what comes to your mind when i say uh the title aesop's fables what what comes to mind when you think of Aesop's fables? Huh? Tortoise and the, hare. The, the tortoise in the hair. Sorry, I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't hear it. Uh, the tortoise in the hair. Sure. What else? Anything else? Uh, I think that's probably the most well known. If I had to, uh, just my my take. Uh, I had a book of Aesop's fables and it was white with a blue border. Oh, okay. So you have specifically remember that. Well, so so there's a lot out there on Aesop's fables and supposedly Aesop was a uh, slave and he apparently won his freedom uh, by being witty and wise. Um, I want to read a, a quick a quick summary uh, that I that I that I uh, excuse me that I found that I thought was was Um, I I think fitting, right? So the mind's eye immediately sees a tortoise beating a hare in a race, uh, or a little boy who cries wolf to the vexation of fellow villagers, right? That's uh, often uh, the case. Uh, But far from childlike moral lessons one would expect, these fables uh, are uh, mainly jokes and one-liners. There's... Some 358 fables in in his collection, and they range interestingly from crude to witty to vulgar to wise. And those are not very uh, very often um, shared, you know, kind of publicly, right? We think of the tortoise and the hare, or maybe the little boy that cried wolf, but but the the one-liners, the witty, the uh, you know maybe the George Carlin-esque type of type of humor um fables give voice to animals inanimate objects and and the gods as though it were an everyday occurrence uh, the wily fox outsmarts men and the tiny cicada outsmarts the fox in his turn the, the god's answer appeals to the lowest forms of life and supply ironic punishments to the higher higher forms of life um beyond being jokes they're they're littered with even obscure puns uh the notes uh from the the work you know lead to honestly some confusion while adding more confusion to the provided moral that apparently goes with it um the there are recognized fables again we talked about tortoise and the hare uh and there are more obscure ones like the rain the raven and hermes each tale has a singular wit that one associates with Aesop. The book itself makes no def- definitive statements about who really offered the work, only, they only makes educated guesses regarding the origin of certain fables. Um, some tales have Aesop as a character rather than the author, so that's again contributes to some of the confusion. Others contain ancient names for animals um, and and some uh, use, you know, names that we're, we're very familiar with. Uh, there are tales of creation, which I thought was interesting. There are mythological tales of the gods creating men and animals for specific reasons. There are stories explaining the uh, physio- physiology of certain animals and the psychological makeup of humans. Most of them have a moral attached while others leave the moral for the reader to decide. And I, And I just... I, it, it just really came to light. I had never really spent much time. I, I always kind of chalked up Aesop's fables to be childlike, right, because of the tortoise and the hare, things that the kids could, could understand, and they have this moral uh, associated with it. Um, I, I I included three in my notes. um uh, well, the the first one I'll read is the crow and the pitcher. I don't know if anybody knows the crow and the pitcher uh, fable, right? But uh, a thirsty crow found a pitcher containing some water, albeit too little and low to reach. As it seemed he would die uh, within sight of the remedy, the crow struck upon an idea to drop pebbles into the pitcher. The water level rose, and the crow was able was able to drink. And so uh, that in and of itself is a you know is a fable probably. The crow is uh, an actual crow is probably not does not have the mental capacity to problem solve to that extent, right? The north wind and sun was one. Uh, The north wind and sun argued which was stronger. Uh, On seeing a traveler, they agreed to a suitable test would be to strip him of his cloak. The first uh, first the wind blew with all his might. But the more he blew, the more the man wrapped the cloak tightly around himself. Uh, When the sun's turn came he gently beamed at the man who loosened the cloak the sun shone brighter still and the man threw off his cloak so clearly the sun is stronger than the wind right so look they're just fables and they might have a moral attached to them but honestly they're they're devised of of men or man Um, they don't have um, they may have some basis in some truth but they don't project truth they actually project something contrary to proof to, to, pr- uh, to, to truth and so i you know go ahead and turn to second peter it's actually on on your page if you you know i wasn't sure that everybody would would have it but i wanted you know i wanted everybody to, to, to have a copy of it but second peter chapter one starting in verse 16 and this is one of those parts of of second peter that i don't really chapter one that i don't feel like we spend much time on and we'll talk more about the 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 mount transfiguration and and some of the other things right and the more sure word of pro, uh, of prophecy that we have but but i don't think it's i don't think we should skip over this first phrase for we have not followed cunningly devised fables Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the chance that we can get in your word today. We thank you for, uh, the technology that allows, uh, folks that can't be here still to connect. And, uh, just thank you for allowing us a, a little more room here to be able to, uh, uh, to be in person and, and, um, Lord, we just commit this time to you. The, the study that, that I have done, Lord, I hope it's uh, been honoring to you and, and pray that you can use it uh, to, to communicate the truth that you see fit uh, by using your Holy Spirit and convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment and teaching the things that we need to know. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what I really the goal of today, for, so I try to be, I, I think I've shared this with you, I try to be a transparent teacher. I try not to be a, a teacher that throws a curveball in, right? I don't want to be like M. Night Shyamalan or whatever and, and throw in the, the interesting twist at the end. I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a straight down the middle of the, the, the fairway kind of teacher, not necessarily straight down the middle of the fairway golfer, but definitely straight down the middle of the fairway teacher. And uh, today we're going to be looking at simply the concept contrast of these fables and what man can develop with what God can develop okay And so the works of man that we'll see really the fables, the things of the eyes and the ears we're going to contrast that to to how God actually gave us the Word of God okay So there so I, I challenge my wife with with a trivia last night, and I said, how many fables are in the Bible? So if you define a fable as, and there's some debate on this, but if you define a fable as an inanimate object or an animal exhibiting human characteristics, or, uh, you know, like the wind, right, those kinds of things, having human characteristics to communicate a principle or a moral or a truth, how many fables do you think are are in Scripture? And I, I, before I researched it, I would have said zero, just to be honest with y'all. I believe there are two. I believe there are two. So I believe there are two uh, fables in Scripture, and they're different from parables. Those are your first two underlines. Two fables uh, in Scripture different from parables. Uh, and so I was a little surprised nobody jumped on the fact that the notes said two. Uh, and I was just, I'm just saying, just saying but Judges chapter 9 the first one is in Judges chapter 9 um, and these are accounts that people give Judges chapter 9 starts in verse 7 um, says and when they told it to Jotham he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them hearken unto me ye men of Shechem that God may hearken unto you and then he tells a parable or I'm sorry, a a, a fable the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them and they said unto the olive tree reign thou over us and the olive tree said unto them should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees and the trees said to the fig tree come thou and reign over us but the fig tree said unto them should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go be promoted over the trees then said the trees unto the vine come thou And reign over us, and the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the Bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the Bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow, and if not, let fire come out of the Bramble, and devours the cedars of Lebanon. So this 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 story clearly has doctrinal implications, clearly has even prophetical implications, but by definition, I would argue that it's a fable because of the fact that the trees are not actually speaking. This is an account, this is a story right um of it, and then the second one actually occurs both in in second chronicles 25 and there's a parallel passage and i apologize i didn't uh didn't include uh second chronicles 25 18, 19 18 and 19 and joash king of israel sent unto, unto amaziah king of judah saying the thistle that was in lebanon sent to the cedar that was in lebanon saying so the thistle is speaking give thy daughter to my son to wife and there. Passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trod down the thistle, thou sayest, Lo, thou hast smitten thee to and thine heart lifted thee up to bows, to abide now at home. Why shouldest thou meddle to thine hurt, that thou shouldst fall, even thou, and Judah with thee. So I know we're not gonna spend a lot of time on these, but I would argue that they're two fables. Now they're fables that are based in God working through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So it's okay to use. I mean, preachers that are under the guy uh, under the, the genuine leading of the Holy Spirit may use an illustration. That doesn't make them false. That doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make them out or extra biblical. Uh, I guess, or, or, or I'm not sure I even how to say that. But, but point here is, the these two fables in Scripture, while they are Scripture. They have doctoral implications. They have prophetic implications. They have even in, in, to some degree, historic, I mean, certainly from our perspective, historic implications. They're still fables. Now that, by definition, a fable doesn't make it false. Okay? By definition, a fable doesn't make it false. But what Peter is addressing here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is that this concept of fables... This concept in, in Aesop's fables would have been around at the time Peter penned Second uh, Peter. Uh, at least, I, you know, I don't know if he had access to it. I don't know how popular they were, but they certainly existed based on the the dating and the timelines that that I read. Um, Peter is addressing straight up that Scripture is not fables, and that is a really important principle because. I think it's, it's. I don't want to call it a foundation, but it's a logical building block on what Peter's getting ready to say. Okay? It's a logical building block. So when you look at the first word, or I'm sorry, the first, um, the, the first part of uh, verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. That cunningly devised, that word is on your notes, sophizo. Sophizo is the Greek word there. Like, um, and and so uh duh, duh, duh. Sorry, I'm trying to get to my uh to my notes here. Uh is wisdom. Wisdom is is sophizo. So when you look at the word like philosophy, philo is love, right? Like Philadelphia. Uh love of wisdom, sophie, right? So it's the love of wisdom. And <clears throat> so These cunningly devised fables that Peter is talking about are, look, I mean, people were smart. People back then were not, I think sometimes if you watch the History Channel, you think everybody was, you know, caveman-esque. People back, you know, early New Testament times, they were smart. They were building structures. They were complicated machinery and mechanics and and liter- literature etc so so people would spend their time thinking and devising and trying to rep trying to explain the spiritual in intangible words and I can't even imagine the number of they wouldn't have been called self-help books but the number of self-help concepts that were out there very humanistic concepts that would have existed in the early New Testament church that played on some of the exact same themes, right? In scripture, I mean, so let's talk about parables for a second. So again, a little bit different from parables, but think of a parable that teaches a basic truth, right? So let's talk about parables for a second, okay? Can, can you throw out a parable that teaches a basic truth, right? Maybe like the, the, the one, the, the, uh, the, the, a guy who is owed uh, and he or I'm sorry, that owes the Lord and he gets forgiven, but he turns around and holds his servant, you know, and you know, his end is, is worse, right? Because he didn't he didn't give that same amount of, of grace downward, so to speak, right? That he received. What are some of the other parables that you might think of um, that that are that communicate a basic truth? Good Samaritan. A good Samaritan, right? Uh, story of you know, do do the right thing and support people and uh, you know it's it's the right thing to do. Some other parables. Any other thoughts? And mustard, seed. mustard seed. Okay. The wheat and tares. Right. The woman with three measures of meal. Woman with three measures of meal. Right. There's also the the coin. Right. Yeah. So there's all sorts of parables. So you can almost see that. And, and God forgive me if this comes out wrong. You can almost see that the stories that were coming out about Jesus might not have been all that different than the things people were hearing. That's why part of the reason I really wanted to read John chapter three today was because we know Thou art to com- come from God because no man can do these can become come from or can can do these in miracles except he become from God, right? right? So the power and authority fundamentally set aside, set apart Jesus's teaching in parable form from what they might have already been hearing. There were a lot of people that could convince people through cunningly devised fables to follow them. Whether follow them actually or follow them intellectually. Because, hey, at the end of the day, there's some smart people out there. At the end of the day, there's some people out there that can convince you to follow them because hey they're they're they've they they're wise they've put a lot of pieces together so as we've looked at first Peter chapter one, we've seen that it's been full of these amazing blessings, right. And we've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We've we've exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, the list of the, all those things that, that keep us fruitful and reproducing that we've looked at. Um, and if you do these things, you shall never fall. It says. And, and Peter is going to stir, um, you know, stir them up by putting them in remembrance. We've we've seen a lot of, of really good blessings and i believe that peter is layering his concept paul is often you know labeled as the the legal mind but peter's doing a pretty darn good job in my humble opinion here by layering on blessing upon blessing upon blessing in second peter chapter 1 and he gets to the culmination of or this part of his letter i realize he didn't put chapter 1 and it ends in verse 21 i i, I get that but in his for lack of a better term introduction or the first part of his letter, he is layering these blessings on and he gets to this point that God is doing a work through us that is supernatural. It's not because of cunningly devised fables. It's not just because there are parables of wheat and tares. It's not just because of all the different parables and all the different nice little stories that we could hear that make us feel good and we should try better. That is not the message Jesus is, is coming with, right? And Peter does, I think, a really good job by, by simply saying, Scripture and Jesus is power, not fables. If Scripture and Jesus were just good ways to live our life, well, that just doesn't even make sense, because putting others first and concepts like that are great, but if there's other concepts in Scripture like dying to yourself that, that don't even make sense, like literally, how are you supposed to sacrifice to the extent that you should die? I mean, some of Jesus's guidance to people doesn't make sense if they're just trying to live their best life now. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So people say that, that 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 say you know Jesus was a good teacher, Jesus was a you know was a man of God, but he wasn't the Son of God. Well, I I, I would respectfully disagree. He can't take that position. Uh, because he's either uh you know i've heard it said lord liar or lunatic, and so um you know we we have a decision to make with respect to how he uses um, uses you know Scripture and and the power. So so back on our concept of of philosophy or our, our our wisdom, if you will. Let's look at the, what the Bible has to say about this wisdom. And I put in my notes this wisdom in quotes because it's it's really important. And in obviously Paul spends a fair amount of time in these four verses, right? So the first one here is First Timothy one four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Which what do they do? They minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do I. I do think there's times to proverbially roll up your sleeves in Scripture and dig deep. I, I really, I, I absolutely believe that. But if it leaves you with more questions than more confidence, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're in the right spot okay I'm not sure we're in the right spot so Paul says to, uh, to Timothy don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which generate questions this this wisdom that is introspective this wisdom that generates questions rather than solutions is not something that you should be investing your time in, simply put. He continues in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 7 but refuse profane and old wise fables which I thought was interesting because I had never considered or known that Aesop's fables were in some cases vulgar according, again I just, uh, you know, some light internet research but but several of the places talked about the fact that like it's not a children's book. <laughs> it's very adult in its nature. And the ones that are not generally known well are the ones that can be according to Paul, profane. Don't 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 give yourself over to those things refuse profane fables or old wives' fables. Fables that might sound like they have some logic to it, but they really are just Old wives' tales, but and then obviously, but exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So notice in the first verse, godly edifying, which is in faith, is what what should be pursued over the fable, or and or in that case, in those genealogies, and in this, refusing the profane in old wives' fables, but, but rather exercise thyself unto godliness. He's literally drawing a contrast between a, a, a fable that may, in fact, not produce godliness. It may produce a concept that is very human. And in some cases, that, that sentiment may seem pretty good, but it's not godly. Okay? In, in 2 Timothy 4.4, 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables." so while a fable may contain truth it isn't the truth and again paul does i think a masterful job in contrasting what is truth from what may contain truth i that's that's the, the literally the situation that's going on in our in our society right now where people will grab one aspect of a story that is truth and draw multiple conclusions based on that story this is not a judgment on the situation in Atlanta where the guy was shot with the taser I don't know if you've heard that but it's now the latest black man who was shot by and killed by a police officer and the people are chanting you shouldn't die because you fell asleep in a Wendy's drive through Which is what happened. That's Wendy's called, and he was had fallen asleep or passed out in the drive-through. The police officers came. They went to arrest him uh, because he was clearly driving or had been driving under some sort of influence. There was a tussle. Apparently, he took the policeman's taser and ran, turned back at the police officer, and tried to uh, apparently pointed the taser at the police officer, and the police officer shot him. So people were chanting. You shouldn't die because you fell asleep in a Wendy's parking lot or a drive-thru. Well, he didn't die because he fell in a, <laughs> Did he fall asleep in the Wendy's par- drive through Yes, apparently. But that's only one aspect of the truth of the story. There's this whole other aspect. And I don't know if it was right of the officer to, to use lethal force. Way above, or at least it's a different pay grade. I won't say it's above my pay grade because I think it'll probably go before a jury of peers. Right? Which would involve any of us to have a reasonable uh, conclusion on that, but I'm just, I'm frustrated that people were pulling snippets of the truth that fit their narrative, but guess what? That's the way it's been. That's the way it was in the early New Testament church. People were pulling out truths, putting them into a fable and saying, well, I'm living by this fable, or I'm living by this truth, and maybe there's some truth in it. Maybe there is. But it's not the truth. And, and Paul tells Timothy in his second letter turn away that, that those um, those fables will turn people's ears away from the truth. And then the last is not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the tr- truth. Same premise, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but same premise that Jewish fables, this is now not just the Gentiles, this is not just Greek you know, humanistic Greek philosophy. This is the tradition of the peop- the Jewish people that they had to feel like they added <laughs> parables, or I'm sorry, uh, um, fables, on top of the teachings that God had given them because it was evidently not sufficient. And maybe they twisted them. Maybe that's more what that's about. I don't know. But so so all of this has been. I guess a really long big introduction here I realize I've camped on the first what is it handful of words for we have not followed cunningly devised fables in this passage but I think Peter is trying to draw a contrast and so I've got up on here uh, what I what I'm calling contextual parallelism so parallelism is the word that that goes in in your in your blank Um, parallelism now Technically, this is ant- uh, antithetical uh, parallelism parallelism in the sense that there's a contrast between two concepts. And generally, I call it also contextual because unlike some of the, par- uh, or the parallelism that you see in the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, and a lot of wisdom books, there's an immediate contrast or an immediate exp- exp- um, uh, 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 expounding on a verse, right? You know, don't do as the bad person, do as the good person, right? There's all sorts of examples of those kinds of parallelism in the Old Testament. But I believe that there's some parallelism here uh, going on. And it's contextual as compared to syntactic, okay, or the actual words. So the first is not wisdom, right? Not wisdom. Hopefully you all online can see this. It's not wisdom is is the word that goes in the... So, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, this wisdom. But the next thing he says, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what goes in the, the power and coming uh, power and coming is eyewitnesses, and then in the parenthetical, eyes. Eyewitnesses, eyes. And and look. D2 and D1 do a pretty good job of explaining that we have a more sure word of prophecy than the experience that even Peter had on the mount of transfiguration. I'm going to assume for today's purpose that we understand that that the 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 surface level of this passage is basically saying don't don't just take our word for it. It wasn't what just that we saw it it's that God did this work, right? This is beyond uh, did the work of Scripture. It's beyond just eyewitnesses. But but continue down, for for in verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. And I'm not exactly sure why I have glory and honor, but honor and glory is the next uh, is the next same down uh, the next line down. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. So what goes in the next line is heard or ears. So it's not with wisdom. It's the, 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 the scripture, the power of scripture is not with wisdom. It's not with physical eyes or being eyewitnesses. It's not with spirit or uh, physical ears um or hearing. If you will, I, I realize Romans, I, I I totally get that that's how it works. But the point is that scripture rises above the level of the physical. Okay. It's deeper than the physical and rises above the, the level. So he's like, it's not wisdom, but then we have a more sure word. Sure goes in the next blank. We have a more sure word, Right. So verse 19, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as light that shineth in a dark place. So it's interesting that, he, that there is a pattern, a parallel with the light versus the eyes. But look at this, until the day dawn and the day star <coughs> arise in your heart. So this light or the day dawn in the heart and heart is what goes in the in the in the right side there, and then continue down just again for the sake of time here. You do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, not in your eyes, not in your ears, not in your wisdom, but in your heart, knowing this that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost and then what goes on the line is either prophecy or scripture, however you would prefer the the prophecy of the scripture technically, but prophecy or scripture on the on the right side. So literally what you have is this first, the first concept that, a contrast that we're not following something of man, we're not something we're following something that was generated out of man's mind to explain something that's hard to explain. I mean, one of these one of these Aesop fables is a, a slave or a servant who runs away and he hides in a den, and that happens to be a lion's den, and the lion has. You may have heard it as the mouse, but the lion has a thorn in his paw and the slave removes the thorn and they become buddies. The man leaves the den and gets arrested by whoever was the the authority at the time and his punishment is death by by beasts in a in a stadium. So they throw him in, well guess which lion happens to be in there and the lion walks up and you know, curls up next to the man to protect him from the soldiers. Like, okay, that's not going to happen. Like, that's just not going to happen. But the premise is kind of a spiritual one that you should minister to people. Not, not with any expectation of what's going to happen in the future. And when you do, there may very well come a time when that person ministers back to you. Right? Like, like I get, I kind of get it but that's not scripture that's not the way god chose to communicate to us and while there's arguably a couple of fables in scripture because these inanimate objects speak and are are communicating a truth scripture is made up of truth not a fable okay and so it's not by wisdom but it is this sure word that goes to our hearts and goes through scripture, okay it's so it, it uses the Holy Ghost through scripture so so I, the the contrast there I, I hope is evident. I, I know I could have, I could have gone to to the Mount of Transfiguration and could have basically taught the discipleship one or discipleship two lessons on this and 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 I just felt really compelled not to because I felt like God was really trying to show the contrast of man. Versus how he executes he executed his scripture in at least in penning it and certainly through through preserving it, so the focus re- is really on Christ and the Holy Ghost, the day dawn right in our hearts, and the holy ghost the the emphasis is on what the work of of God in our lives, not the work of us, more than any wisdom, eyes or ears. I mean we can't rely on these things. Satan obviously can transform himself into an image of light, right an angel of light. He also can, you know, whisper in our ears. I am absolutely convinced that some of the the worst arguments that so I'm just going to say, Michelle and I get in arguments. I don't know who these people are who say they've been married for fifty years and never had an argument. They must be living in different houses. I don't know who that is. Um, so I mean, we have our, our our fair share of arguments, and I am absolutely convinced that that Satan or his minions is all too ready to say, to in my ear. She didn't even pay attention when you said that. Or in her ear of, he obviously doesn't love you because he didn't compliment your cooking or whatever. Like, uh, on a spiritual plane, I'm just absolutely convinced that we we are inundated. Satan does not fight fair. But only Christ and the Holy Ghost can change a man. On, that only that, not we can't do that ourselves, right? And notice this concept comes from knowledge. So if you're in Second Peter, or get to Second Peter, because I, we got to go back and look at this, it's interesting because we we harp on not having knowledge. Like knowledge, what does knowledge do? It puffs up, right? But look at how how Peter addresses it, as as we get close to wrapping up here. Look in verse two. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Look at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Look at verse 5. And besides this, this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and add to virtue knowledge. In verse um, 12. Wherefore I put you not or wherefore I uh, will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, right so knowledge is not inherently bad if it's the right kind of knowledge, and Peter is doing this again in my humble opinion, this masterful job of just delineating between godly knowledge and the knowledge of God versus man's knowledge and man's wisdom and and then last but certainly not least in second corinthians 4 i think it's on your uh it's on the screen and on your notes for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ i mean that's that's an amazing summary by Paul in, in the second, the second epistle to the Corinthians that God who, who who through his voice commanded light to shine out of darkness, chose to shine his light directly into our hearts, and again, I shared this when when I uh, had the opportunity to preach in in service. we give a bad rap to our hearts, look, I get the heart is desperately wicked, but all the more reason I need a new one, <laughs> all the more reason I need God. To, to change my heart, all the more reason for him to constantly be doing open heart surgery on Mitch Dobson. And constantly, not just the circumcision of the heart, although that's a very important concept, but just constantly renewing my heart and my mind to, for me, but notice, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hopefully this was a blessing, a little bit different angle, uh, specifically on this fables versus uh, the, the uh, I mean, it's kind of a duh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, be honest. I struggled a little bit with this, that like probably junior hires and, and many kids younger in this class could have gotten up and said, fables are not scripture and not truth. The Bible is amen and be done. Uh, I felt like there was more to it than that, but so I so I I did struggle a little bit with with whether this was the right message. I I hope it was a blessing to you. Let's pray, Lord. We uh, we do thank you for again the chance to gather today. We thank you for the inerrancy of your word. We thank you that uh, the men of God uh, were moved by the Holy Ghost to pen it, uh, and then you use many uh, men and women, the, the priesthood of believers, to preserve it. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that, uh, for those promises that we literally have a very sure word, more sure than than the report or even the experience of seeing your transfiguration. So Lord, uh, we just ask that you use the word and continue to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment through your Holy Spirit. Just compel us to move forward in our spiritual journey. Compel us as we uh, as as we move forward to to minister better, uh, to minister well, uh, to to minister the way you would have us uh, to to minister, Lord. We we want to do this for you and for your honor and glory. We don't we don't want to take any of it for ourselves. and 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 Should we should we want to do that, change our hearts. So help us uh, live in light of not man's wisdom, uh, but but in light of your holy wisdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.